seeing God's creation and his glory out there, just seeing the different colors in the sky and all. Just uh, That's where my mind goes, as always, to God's creation. So as we start this morning, let's begin in prayer, and then we will dive into the word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, this opportunity that we have to be here together and to study your word. I would ask, Lord, that you help us and open our hearts and minds and and diving into your word that we can learn, that we can maybe learn new things that we didn't know before. So many times we we study your word, and we study and study, and at some point in the future we, we find the nuggets in there that we've missed. And we thank you so much for the, that, Lord, for the newness of your word every time. We'd ask you to be with us during this class, be with us through worship today, be with us always, Lord. We know you are and you love us. We thank you so much, Lord, for that love and for your Son. We pray this in your Son's holy name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as we get started here, I'm going to try not to wander around or, or flail my arms too much. It's a bad habit of mine, so just forgive me of that. Um, so like I said, this is kind of more of a condensed study, and I apologize. Very first thing is... Who are we talking about? First book is James. Well, there's quite a few Jameses in the Bible. And uh, some of them that we may have known as James, brother of John and son of Zebedee. And he was put to death by King Agrippa. Keep that in mind. Then there's James, son of Alphaeus, also known as James the Less. Now, I wouldn't want to be known really as Ken the Less, but if that somebody attached that to me, that's okay too, but... Uh, he's relatively unknown. There's not a whole lot known about him. Uh, he's mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, but he is not known over a large geographic area. Now, that comes into play as well in trying to decide who wrote this book. Um, there's James, father of Judas, not Iscariot. And the same reasons go to him that um, he's not known throughout the region. Okay, now... A lot of this information that we get is not only from the Bible, but it's from outside sources. Josephus, other sources, these are all compared and compiled and uh, sifted through. And I got to admit, it's done by scholars so much better than I am. I'm not on the scholar scale, okay? Uh, I'm just a, a, a studier. Uh, but in taking the readings from all those and comparing them, these gentlemen so far are not stacking up to the author of this book. Um, and I need you to keep in mind also that in any time we're talking about uh, authors or anything, in the very first, it, it says James. Okay, first verse, James, a bondservant of God. All right, that's the only way he identifies himself, James. So we have to kind of go through the list and see Okay, which James is this? Which one will fit who wrote this? Um, so what we're dealing with is likelihoods and possibilities. This is not 100%, and I want you to understand that. This is not 100%, but you keep that in mind as you're studying, but the, the parallels and the terms he uses are so similar to other places. Um, James is mentioned in Acts 15. And so we can see from the letters there and, and what he says in there that it corresponds very well to James the letter. All right, so 
Most scholars attribute James, the brother of Jesus, as the author. Okay, James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and internal and external evidence gives support to this, as him as the author. Now, internal, external support means all those other resources that we look at or have studied or, or have paralleled to. All of them point to James, brother of Jesus. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for James growing up with Jesus as a brother or actually a half-brother? Okay, we know that Jesus had others, brothers and sisters. Okay, half-brothers and sisters. And many of them were not believers as they were growing up. They did not believe Jesus was who he was. And even James, we see in in, um, history, did not really come to believe strongly in Jesus until things started happening, the crucifixion and the signs and miracles and all. So he didn't grow up just, you know, many of us say, well, I, I grew up in the church. Okay, I've been studying this all my life. Well, that wasn't happening back then. I mean, you're, they're playing with Jesus, you know, maybe as a, as a five, six, seven-year-old or a teenager, and they're out in the dirt playing with sticks and, and climbing trees and running through the alleys and and messing with the dogs and everything else, okay? So, so you got to think of that point of view also, that uh, far different from what we might think today. They were just kids growing up in a family. So when was this written? So if we say that James, the brother of Jesus, is the author, and we're going to hold to that for the whole study. Well, James was killed about A.D. 62, and so it was before that time that this book would have been written. Uh, to According to other documents, that it was between 45 and 60 A.D., 45 and 60 years that this book was written. So somewhere in that time frame, okay? you got to remember what's happening at that time as well. The, the church has been established. It's small, but it's growing. And during this time, people are scattered. Why? Because persecution has started happening. The very thing that's been warned about. Persecution as in, oh, you're a Christian? Well, I'm arresting you, or I'm abusing you, or I'm just going to kill you. Okay, these things are happening to people that are professing to be a Christian. We already see what happened to Jesus and the persecution he went through just because of who he was. All right, speaking against the the scribes and the priests and them being blind to prophecy and not realizing that Jesus was the Messiah that they were actually supposed to be looking for. They kind of forgot to look, didn't they? All right, so people have scattered abroad. They're traveling, they're trying to get to, to safe areas and... So, the leaders of the church are becoming aware of this. James is one of those that's aware of this. We, we believe the letter was written in Jerusalem simply because that's where James was a leader in the church there in Jerusalem. And we see this also in Acts. It corresponds with that. Um, now, he's writing this to Jewish Christians and I'll come back to that in a second, too, explain some more there. But Jewish Christians, so these are the ones that, that scattered, all right? Now, is he writing to the Gentiles also? 
I, I believe, okay, this is Ken's opinion, I believe, yes, it's for all Christians, but he was mostly targeting the Jewish Christians because of the phrase, some of the phrases he uses in the letter. Um, and we'll see that in the first couple of verses here. So they had scattered abroad. James knew this, and even in Acts, if you read there, he had helped pen a letter to the Gentiles saying, yes, you are accepted in the church. You are saved. You are a part of this. But here's what you need to do. Let's give you some guidance here. So the letter of James is really a, a, a guidance for all of us. For the Jewish Christians at that time that were scattered abroad, he's trying to give them guidance. He's trying to give them encouragement. I mean, they're going through a lot. Wouldn't you like to receive an encouraging letter every now and then? Even if it was to, to the whole church? Who was he actually writing to? Well, Jewish Christians, yes. Gentiles are included as well. But he's writing to the poor. Okay? And not not the rich, not the well-to-do, but the poor. The very same thing that Jesus came to do, to reach the poor, those in need, those who needed help. Okay? They needed it the most. He didn't come for the well, he came for the sick. Um, And James continues this in his writings. And he understood the problems that they were having. Now, this letter that he sent out to this group, um, he knew the problems they were having. Okay, first, they were poor. They were being persecuted in different ways, even within their own group. They were arguing Okay, having divisive feelings towards one another. Okay, can you imagine, you know, when we say, oh, they were arguing with each other. Oh, how horrible. I hope that never happens. Well, you know what? It kind of sounds like us. It sounds exactly like us. Our daily life, we are just like them. In and out of the church, we are these people. So James had started to become aware of the trials and tribulations. Okay, that's something we're going to hear a lot about, trials and tribulations. Uh, and that's just the, the things they are going through on, on a, either an everyday basis or even when they come together as a group, as a church. His emphasis for James, you know, it's not, he doesn't present in there the plan of salvation, He doesn't talk about baptism. Uh, He doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit, the incarnation, crucifixion, or the resurrection. What he's writing here is a guide, an everyday how to act as a Christian. This is what you should be doing. And that's one reason this book really needs to apply to us. You read it, and, and nothing in there conflicts with any other part of the Bible. You've got to understand that. Now, I bring that out because, as you know, they didn't have this thousands of years ago. It was mostly oral. Then there were some letters that were written and sent out and passed along, and somebody else might copy a letter and, and continue sending it out. But they didn't have this book that we have today that we are so blessed to have together. But how, how did this get put together? 
Okay, it was a group of men, men, men who can have error, men who can have terrible judgment, men who can make mistakes. And so they compiled the Bible that we have today. And if you've ever looked on even maybe your tablet or phone and looked at your electronic version, have you ever pulled down and scrolled through how many versions there are? It's hard to pick because they're all a little bit different. Okay? I suggest you pick the one that you can understand, and, and, I'll, and I'll get back to that in a second, too. Um, so James, the letter, was almost not included that decision could have gone differently, and we would not have this letter in the Bible today. But we got to understand that, that God's word is an inspired word. And I believe that he guided those men at that time to put this in here. All right? Many times I've studied and, and had my own, you know, why is this in here? Or, or why are other books that were not included, why are they not in here? All right? So, but I have to trust, and really I do, I trust God and his wisdom and his guidance that this is what we have and this is what I follow. This is my guide for every day. And, and James is doing that same thing. This is his guide to these people, how to live every day. Now, you go to work, uh, or if you're not working, you're at home. Maybe you've installed a, a dishwasher, installed a stove, or some other appliance, or or something. And you get this this instruction manual, and many of us just toss it aside and go, "Okay, I can do this." Okay, but usually, if we will just go through the book, we'll learn something and how to do it correctly. Because after you've installed something two or three times on the same appliance, then you go, "Okay, now let me get the the book here and see what I'm doing wrong." Okay? Same with God's word. Same with James, the letter. It is a guide for everyday life. Okay? We're going to see that as we go through. Um, so think of the whole letter as James saying, okay, this is how you need to behave. We hear that word behave, and many times we think, ah, you know, behave. I'm not changing my behavior. Well, this is, behavior is important as a Christian, because we're coming off of an old life, and we've put on a new life, and it's something different. We're putting off the world and putting on Christ. And what that means is a complete change in behavior. And many times, and I'm sure you're aware of this, as, as the world engulfs us every day, whether at work, at school, at home, TV, internet, radio, we're bombarded all the time. And what happens? Things influence us. Things affect our judgment. And, what, and, and leading to sin, leading to putting the world back on. Those stains that we get, that we need to repent of and go on. Okay? So, and I just totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I apologize. Um, anyway, James helps us in that, getting back to an instruction book. All right, so let's look at it as that. That's why I encourage you also to read this as we're studying it, not only here, but at home. It doesn't take very long. 
there's just a few chapters in James, so it doesn't take long to go through. So I suggest you read it multiple times. So let's let's read it right now. It doesn't take long. So James chapter 1, there's no PowerPoints. You're going to have to grab a Bible, open it up yourself, or scroll through it on your phone. James chapter 1, it's after Hebrews. And let's start. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, but the rich person is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So also the rich person, in the midst of his pursuits, will die out. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among its creatures. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls." But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer. This person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, 
this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Just in that first chapter, James has just packed a lot in there. A lot for us every day. Things that we should be doing anyway. You know, if you've read the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, if you've listened to what Jesus has said and taken those on, then you will be doing these very same things that James is saying, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what he's telling this, this church, this congregation, this group of Christians. So let's dive into the verses themselves, okay? He speaks in, the, in verse 1, to the 12 tribes. Well, you may or may not know that the 12 tribes didn't exist at that time. There's only about two of them. Ten of them were wiped out by the Assyrians. Okay, so there's really only two. Now, there's some scatterings that can claim relationship to some of the other tribes, but most of the tribes are gone, so why in the world is he saying to the 12 tribes? Well, this was a Jewish saying, okay? And this is, is where James comes from as a Jew. He's addressing all of them. He's saying to all the Jews out there, listen up. All right, this letter is for you. This is like we say the brotherhood. Is, is that just applying to here? No, it applies throughout every Christian in the world. All of our brothers and sisters worshiping, some of them at the same time, some of us in different time zones, uh, and all throughout the world. But they're all part of the same family. And we count ourselves as family, right? Our brother and sisters are here. This is family, and we should be treating each other like that, just as a reminder. Okay, but he's saying to the 12 tribes, because that is such a strongly implanted thing in the Jewish culture. The 12 tribes, that's where they came from. So, we know there's not 12 tribes at this time that he's writing, but he's addressing, he's saying, okay, to all you Jews, listen up. Verse 2, they're considered all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Okay, how joyful are you when, when trials and tribulations come your way? When you're sick, when you're not healthy, when work is just overloading you and the stress just, you seem like you're drowning. When things happen, when, when people around you are mocking Christ, when they're mocking the church, when they're mocking other Christians, when they're telling awful jokes, you know, kind of just if you think of just the daily life out in the world, all right? These things can really build on us. I mean, we're not waterproof. We're not sin-proof. These things affect us. Um, but do you count it joy when you go through these things? Most times we don't. We let them bear us down. We carry those burdens with us, and they just weigh us down as we keep going. But James is saying, consider it all joy. Now, why in the world do you say this? Well, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Those birds are going to test you each and every day. How you behave as a Christian. Are you going to go along with the world? Are you going to accept it? Or are you going to put it aside and travel your own path as a Christian? 
Sometimes that's very hard because peer pressure is hard, isn't it? Those around us, those at work, those at school, we want to be liked. We want to be in with the group. We want to be accepted. And that peer pressure is very, very hard. I think that's one of the greatest tools in, in Satan's arsenal on us is peer pressure. So getting back to James. So that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now that endurance, in my mind, I like word pictures. I like to bring pictures to mind, and it helps me understand it better and to grasp it and keep it. Endurance. What would endurance be a part of? An athlete. Okay? Out there training and training and training. Maybe starting as a little kid and building up. Because every little trial and tribulation and training and stress, it builds you up. That stress, is it's just a natural fact that stress on something will build you up. The trees need the wind because it helps them grow stronger branches. Okay, We, our bones, need stress. It helps build stronger bones. If you'll recall that, that uh, health suggestion is that we, we do weight-bearing because even as we get older, we need to build our bones. Um. So that stress has a purpose in life. And what James is reminding us is that stress that's on you, that as you endure it, it is actually going to build you up. All right? And and in that idea, that's where we have our joy. That in getting through these things, I'm being built up. I'm being made stronger. So that the next time I face that same trial, tribulation, trouble... I can get through it easier. I've already been there. I've walked that path. Now I'm going to get through it to the, to the next thing. He goes on to say, and let endurance have its perfect result. Now, think of perfect. I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. I am not perfect. I am. There is not a day goes by that, that I have any perfection. But I do like to complete things and get things to the end. And what he's saying here in that word perfect is mature, maturity. We talk so many times about a new Christian that we as older Christians need to surround them, help them, help them grow, because we know the trials and tribulations they are going to go through. They're going to battle those each and every day, that peer pressure, the, the paths that are laid before them that are leading off to the wrong direction. All those things that we've faced before, too, we as mature Christians, now how did we get to that mature point? Through endurance, through our own trials and tribulations and learning from those, making mistakes. Okay, we've made mistakes, right? I know I have. Learning from those mistakes. If you do not learn from those mistakes, you are going to repeat them again and again. So that endurance is what we need to get through those. So that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. So, trials become joy when God uses them, okay? God uses them to help us grow. You need, when you're in the middle of a terrible situation, you know, and you just don't know what to do or where to go or, or, 
you know, what decision you're going to make. What do you do? Well, stop. Stop for a second. Okay? And quit thinking about yourself. You know, having the pity on yourself, maybe a pity party. Okay? And instead, start going, okay, what would God want me to do? What's God say about this? What can God do with this in my life? Now, maybe it's not going to be the outcome that you want, but maybe it's the outcome you need. If you make that mistake, you're either going to learn from it, or you're possibly going to repeat it again and learn later. I hope we learn the first time. Okay, Peter expresses a similar thought, in, and just for your notes, okay, I'm not going to read the verse, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He talks about the trials as well and the joy that they should be bringing to us. Keep in mind that, that when we're in the middle of the darkest place, it's hard to have joy. But we have a tool besides God's word. We have another tool, and that's our family right here, our brothers and sisters. I'm sure many of you have gone through the same trials, tribulations, troubles, mistakes that I have made. And maybe I can talk to you and say, what did you do in this instance? You know, I could really use some advice from somebody who's gone through this dark path. Okay, now when we say dark path, I don't mean you're in a dark path every day. I mean, you could just be walking along and the dirt of the world is going to be splashing up on you. Okay, and you want to brush that off and keep going. Or you might just be in the deepest mud pit trying to get yourself out. It varies for everybody. My trials and tribulations might be a disaster for you and vice versa. They're never the same for everybody. But we got to help each other out. Uh, going on, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Prayer! Prayer is so important. Okay, how many times when you're in the mud pit or just walking through the shadows or the dark places or you're just alone, how many times do you talk to God? Okay, you can talk to God anytime. You know, I love being able to walk in the building and I, I see my brother, I talked to Danny this morning, I, I said hi to Mike, you know, others of my brothers and sisters that come in, even a quick hi. Because I'm, I'm free to do that, express myself, or, or listen to them. And I can do this very same thing with God. I can talk to him any time. My favorite place happens to be in my car while I'm driving. And, and I was doing that this morning. Beautiful creation surrounding me. How could I not pray? Just thanking him for that. It's an ongoing thing for each and every one of us. Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, I want to throw in a thought there. How many times have you, even growing up, asked your father for something? Your 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 mom and dad. Think back to to blood family. You asked your father for something, and he gave it to you. Or maybe he didn't give it to you because you didn't need it at the time. All right, because he, as father, was looking out for you. Now, 
we're always hoping for a, a good father, a wise father. But we need to realize that we have that every day as Christians. We just need to look up. We need to look to God, our father, and talk to him. Ask him, you know, this is what I need. Or maybe even this is what I want. You know, just like a kid. I want, I want, I want that, and I want that. And sometimes we're told no. But every now and then we're like, yeah, okay. You know, or wait, wait. We'll get that later. These very same things come into play when we talk to God. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Doubt. Doubt is that other sniggling little thing that the devil likes to put in there. You know, and and we often refer to it as being even wishy-washer. Wishy-washy, sorry. <laughs> Slurring my words here. Wishy-washy. Okay? Picture now a surf. If you've ever been near an ocean or maybe even a big lake with the waves coming in, and maybe you've been there during a storm or high winds and you're watching the waves are just going every which. Sometimes they're being driven the opposite way, and the water is just spraying and splashing everywhere, has no direction whatsoever. And that's what he's referring to here, just being tossed about by the wind. Those doubts are playing on your decisions on your goals, on your purpose, on your belief, you know, doubting something. Well, you know, I'm going to ask for this, but uh, he might not give it to me, or he might not help me. You know, I'm pretty deep in this pit here, and I'm looking for a way out, but, you know, I'm I'm worthless. I, I He's not going to pay attention to me. That's doubt. God loves each and every one of us completely because we're his children and he wants to help us. What father does not want to help his children even if he watches them stumble so that they learn then they can get themselves out of that the next time. But he's there watching. He's going to keep them safe even if he lets them get hurt through something. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, I'm going to back up there. Not because we're worthless, okay? Many of us feel that way many times, all right? It's not about our self-esteem, okay? We can feel that way because of doubt, all right, and he says, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Like I said, it goes back to being wishy-washy. We don't know what direction we're going to go. I don't know. Well, I'm going to decide this. No, I changed my mind. I don't want to do that. You know, decide what you're going to do and move forward with God. Because without God, we have no direction. We need to remember that each and every day. This is part of our behavior as a Christian. Now, the brother or sister of humble circumstances. Now, humble circumstances, he's, he's talking to those Jewish Christians that are abroad. He's saying, okay, I know who you are. I know what you're going through. 
It's, it's the, I say lowly, but that's not even a, a good word in this instance. It's the everyday average Joe and Jane. It's us. No matter your status, no matter your wealth, your income, no matter what, it's the everyday person. And even as Americans, okay, even as Americans, we need to keep this in mind. That we are so very blessed, each and every one of us. We've got cars out there in the parking lot. We're dressed very nicely. We have a, a, a beautiful building. Nice new chairs, comfy. You know, they're so comfy, your, your rear end might even get numb and go to sleep. But we're here as a family. We have no persecution. We have, we have no fear outside that door that somebody's going to come and, and get us. But these Christians did. Many times they were hiding because they had fear. And compared to other parts of the world even now and people at that time, we are so blessed. Okay, But we still need to heed what James is saying about our everyday behavior. Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances to glory in his high position. High position. Okay, if I'm if I'm just an average person, uh, and, and maybe I'm I'm lower income or even poor or wealthy, how in the world do I have this high position? All right. Now this is a a, a word play kind of that we need to think of for ourselves because we need to put it in our brain or our heart that this is us high position the high position that God. Our Father gives his children in his kingdom. He's already told us, I have a place reserved for you right here with me. That's the high possession. Okay? Now, there are some things we have to do to get there. Remember that endurance? We have to endure. We have to continue on and not fall off that path to reach that final high position that each and every one of us should be looking forward to. Get rid of this world and the peer pressure and, and the mud pits and the stains and everything else because I want to be with my Father who's taking care of me. But the rich person is the glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. Now I'm going to uh, skip here a little bit in all the next verse, but... When he sees, says rich person, now, in all honesty, all of us in, in this room as Americans are rich. Let's just face that fact. We are so blessed compared to other parts of the world. Okay? He's not targeting rich people. He's not talking about the, the status or, or money level there. He's talking about those that have power. That's what he's talking about. Because at that time, okay, not our time, Long ago, back in that time, people he's writing the letter to, those Christians were being oppressed by people with power. And many of those were priests and scribes and, and Pharisees and those connected to the, the old law, the, what we call the Old Testament, but the old law, that were still looking for that Messiah. And they were totally blind. But they're persecuting their own group the, the Jews. 
and even outside of the Jewish community, those in government. And, and he's talking about power here. Um, so, like I said, he's not talking about about or two rich Christians. He, he's really talking about uh, how not to treat your brother and sister. Um, I know I'm going to run out of time here. So, verse 12. Uh, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised those who love him. Getting back to that endurance, going through the trials, reaching the end. What is that end? Judgment day. That's what we're looking forward to, judgment day. We get to judgment day and God says, I approve you. Because Jesus is standing there going, I know him. He's one of yours. And God says, pass through, you're mine. That's the approval we're looking for. That crown of life, that's that high position. We're going to be sitting in there... with the Lord and get that crown of life. That's what we're looking for. Now, verses 13 through 18. I am skipping those. Now, there's a reason I'm skipping those. Still read them. Don't, don't skip over them yourself. But I want to refer you back. Tony has brought three excellent lessons on Sunday mornings in the past couple months about James. Lessons out of James. And he hits on these verses heavily. So I'm going to encourage you to go back into the archive uh, online and listen to those lessons again. I've got to remember I said I'd do the condensed version, and I greatly am sorry for that. So go back to the archive lessons, listen to those again. You will get so much out of them that I can't bring forth in this limited amount of time. So that's homework for you. All right. Uh, James begins another thought in 19, reminding them that they have already heard this. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Well, they have heard it before because they're Christians now. How did they become Christians? Because they have heard the words of Jesus from the apostles and disciples. You remember that, that oral culture telling what's happened and then, then writing it down and passing it forth? Okay. Uh, And these next thoughts are so important. Now, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. How many times have we disproved God by thoughtless words? Words that just tumble out of our mouth so quickly. We don't even think about it. We hear something or something just triggers us or or pokes us. And we are so quick to act and say something. Oh, I know I'm, I'm so guilty of that. I, I'll, just, I'll just admit that right off the bat. Okay? I have to read these same words for myself all the time. Slow to anger. In other words, zip it. Sometimes it's so much better just to not say anything. Proverbs brings that out so many times about the wise man says nothing. The fool is out there just expressing everything. He's got so many words to say and and none of it makes sense. But sometimes if we just zip it, you know, might make people think you're wiser. Maybe not. 
I don't know. Not for me. But say nothing. Think about it first. If you take even 10 seconds to just say, okay, process this. Did he, was he, am I taking this personally? And go from that point. Okay, I'm going to pick up next week where we left off here. Uh, since that was second bell, uh, continue. Please study it for yourself. If you have any comments to add, I will be glad to add those into the lesson. I apologize this is not a discussion forum, but let's go ahead and get ready for worship this morning. Thank you so much.